Welcome to Tamra Talk Circular, where we explore how businesses, municipalities, and governments are collaborating towards a circular economy. In past episodes, we've been focusing on technical and systemic solutions that exist today, or ones that we need to actually work towards to transform to a circular economy as quickly as possible. We've had speakers from across the value chain, but we've, we've neglected one aspect, and that's the consumer. In my opinion, the consumer actually drives a lot of what's going on in the circular economy, whether it's brand policy, whether it's policy and other aspects. So we've got to get them on board. The question is, how do we do that? This particular episode will focus on one of those ways, and that's communication. My name is Mitu Moran, and joining me today is Dickon Bonvick-Stone, Communication Manager at Tomra. Dickon has worked in marketing and communication for nearly 15 years with a background in digital media, and a strong career focus on engagement through digital channels. And the reason I actually asked Dickon to join us today is that he's recently completed a couple of sustainability master's degrees, specifically in and around communicating climate change, especially with regards to public engagement, public perception of policy, and public responses to communication campaigns. Dickon is a true expert in this field. So Dickon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's get into this. Um, what's been the most common approach to communicating climate change to date? Why is it so difficult? Generally, uh, the focus tends to be on really big, scary details, or otherwise the super technical head spinning details that everybody finds quite difficult to understand. And whether the scary or the technical, they've both been blasted uh, at everybody, um, shouted louder and louder and louder, more information more facts, more graphs. And this is all based on an assumption that people just don't know enough about climate change. They don't know enough about what's going on and they need to be educated. And if they are and they become educated, they will take some kind of action about it. So, you know, it's all based on this assumption that the cup is empty and needs to be filled. The way then to fix that, the empty cup, is to fill it as quickly as possible. And so the general approach or the traditional approach has been to give people more information, even more, more and more and more, even more facts, even more graphs, uh, and try and, and raise this understanding, knowledge, awareness, and concern. But it hasn't been super effective at getting people to actually take action, oftentimes because it hasn't given them any uh, action to take. It's just made them all freak out. So what has happened in a lot of these cases, you know, we know this thanks to a, a good amount of research about it, and by virtue of the situation that we're in, is that it hasn't been terribly effective in getting people to actually do anything. And that's an unfortunate outcome. Okay, well, the last thing we want are freaked out consumers. So why, you've kind of touched all this, um, and the massive amounts of information that's been produced and presented to the consumer, but, but why hasn't this been effective? Some of it comes down to the communication landscape kind of generally. There's so much noise, right? More than ever, in fact. We live in this age of information overload, and that makes it really hard to get through to anybody about anything, let alone about climate change. Um, so this means that there's a really high demand for a really limited supply of attention. And that tends to mean that budget matters. And where do we find the big budgets? Well, typically not in climate outreach projects. So that's unfortunate. Dickon, could I ask you to explain what are climate outreach projects? Well, like, you know, uh, typically the, the money is in advertising campaigns that support the status quo or support projects or processes or products that tend to take us further towards 
issues associated with climate change rather than away from them. When I say climate outreach projects, I mean anything associated with, say, conservation or actually trying to engage people on climate change rather than trying to sell them things. So would this be like a Fridays for Future activity? Would that be, in your opinion, a climate outreach yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there are some budgets. Obviously, there are some big budgets in some of these organisations too. You know, Greenpeace, for example. But typically, you'd find more money being thrown behind consumer-facing campaigns for products and services that don't necessarily help. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the clarification. I didn't know, so I could imagine there are some out there that don't. Another important point is that within all that noise, there's also a lot of climate disinformation. So content that intentionally seeks to undermine communication about climate change and to kind of raise doubt and uncertainty about the reality of the situation. And this is often supported by quite big budgets. Um, I mean, there's quite a lot of research into (laughs) where the money is coming from in some very, very large, very prolonged disinformation campaigns about climate change. Um, So that's out there. Um, So even before we're talking about climate change itself, and the factors and characteristics that make it quite tricky to communicate to people, um, we're already getting an idea of what we're up against in this communication landscape. So it's very difficult to stand out, and you're also fighting against people who are trying to undermine your message, and then, of course, you're bringing to the table a very large, very complex, very scary thing. So that thing, climate change, is, like I said, big and scary and inconvenient and complex, and it's very hard to understand. It's quite hard to define, actually. Um, And it's very difficult to solve. So that's problematic. (laughs) Um, But it's also perceived as something that's very far away, quite often. Um, You know, most of our ideas of climate change come uh, from pictures of polar bears, which many people would actually consider at this point to have been a bit of a problematic route to take in trying to communicate climate change, because it made a lot of people think, oh, no problem, it's in the Arctic. Uh, you know, it doesn't affect me. Um, Of course, it's quite clear that that's no longer the case um, and hasn't been all along. Um, But it's it's often thought of as being this thing that's far away, happening to other people, uh, or maybe future generations. And so we don't typically assign enough risk to it compared to other more immediate issues. You know, why would I worry about climate change if I have to pay the rent and get the kids to school? Right, it's not affecting me directly, right? Yeah. And now, and, and also I don't necessarily know what to do about it, even if it was. <laughs> you know, I, if I have to get the kids to school, I know that the solution there is get them to school. Done. I don't necessarily know how to deal with something much bigger like climate change. Save the polar bear. Save the polar bear. But even if we did assign enough risk to this thing, uh, and this is this kind of is what I'm talking about right now, uh, and maybe gets to the heart of why that kind of blasting information at people uh, approach hasn't been terribly effective, uh, is because even if we did assign enough risk to it, what would we do about it? So a lot of the effort that's gone into uh, informing people about climate change or raising the understanding about it and raising the concern about it, it hasn't necessarily delivered any good answers about what to do once we understand the issue and are appropriately uh, concerned about it. So there's this really great quote from Pigeon and Fishoff that I I love, um, which sums this up wonderfully, which is, even well-informed individuals can rationally do nothing if they see no viable actions to take. So if I don't know what to do about it, even if I understand it completely, I'm really worried about it, I can't do anything. Um, So if we don't show people what to do, they can't logically do anything. So this whole approach of ringing the alarm bell louder isn't going to help. Uh, It hasn't helped and it's 
probably not going to in the future. But this is the approach that a lot of communicators have taken, both both kind of in in academia, in in the private sector, all over. We we just we just um, kind of cry out about how much of a problem this is, uh, and a lot of audiences have simply stopped listening. And throughout a lot of the research about climate change communication, that is a symptom of this ringing the bell louder. People just switch off. Um, So if we want to get through to people and actually bring about action and mobilize people, we have to communicate in ways that don't just shove information down their throats. That's just more noise. That's one thing I, I absolutely agree. That's one of the things that we do try to focus on here on these podcasts, as well as um, some white papers, really solutions that are working. How does it How does it work? But it's been very, the communications is very, let's say, talking to the industry stakeholders. We, as I said before, we're neglecting the consumers. And I've also read the reports, um, some of them at least, because there's, as you said, there's lots of them out there. So I've only read a few and they're interesting. But if I hear you correctly, you're saying the facts are just not enough. Why is that the case? Well, facts are fantastic. Uh, and science is great. And obviously standing on the shoulders of giants just talking about this stuff. And I should probably emphasize that I think all communication on climate change should be underpinned by good, rigorous science. But to bring about action, it's been made pretty clear. And I can share some uh, some research on this that can be linked to in the show notes, that the human and the social part of climate change communication hasn't always been dealt with uh, sufficiently well. And actually, you know, over the last decade or so, there's there's been a uh, developing research discipline dedicated to this topic. And I, through a podcast that I host, uh, have been lucky enough to discuss some of these issues with some of the brilliant scientists associated with it. Uh, one of them, for example, is Susie Moser, who probably is the reason that I'm so deep down the rabbit hole on all this stuff in the first place. She's fantastic and inspiring and wonderful. But she, in um, some papers released in the past, has explained that the real challenge for climate change communication is not just raising awareness and explaining the science. It's about motivating audiences to take action. And to do that, you have to take a different approach. Um, So when we blast facts at people, or we scare them, or we make them feel guilty or patronized, we just turn them off. That's not the way to do it. Fear and guilt do not work. Um, Okay. It's a really quick route to inaction and apathy. And to be quite honest, we, we can't afford to arrive at those kinds of outcomes at this point. Many people are fully aware of the problem. Many of them are living through the impact of it even, but they might not necessarily know what to do about it. The rest, maybe they just haven't had it put in terms that warrant them making a priority in their lives. Um, and so we have to figure out as communicators how to do that. Let me give you an example. There's a documentary called the game changes. I'm sure it's de- I'm sure it's been debunked like uh, so many other uh, documentaries, but I think it's interesting related to what we're talking about. So this documentary basically looks at reducing meat consumption in the male diet. I don't know if that's explicitly what it does, but that is what it's doing. Um, but it does so not through the usual kind of framing. It doesn't talk about the ethics of eating animals. It doesn't talk about the carbon emissions associated with meat consumption. Instead, it takes a totally different angle and it talks specifically about performance, masculinity, virility, um, these things that are traditionally quite important uh, to a large 
proportion of the male population. And then it uses heroes and influencers like Arnold Schwarzenegger to say, I don't eat meat and look how powerful I am. So the movie never once kind of tackles the climate change side of things. It attacks the solution from a very different angle. But the end point or the goal is the same. It just puts it in terms that speak to the values of the audience uh, rather than coming at them from the traditional perspective. And I think that's really interesting. And it's a great example of what I'm talking about in terms of coming at the audience with something that they care about through the right means, making meaning and arriving at the same destination. Sort of through the back door. Yeah, or just the front door next to the other front door. Okay. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating. Subscribe and turn on notifications. You mentioned you're a host of a podcast. I didn't realize that. It is becoming a habit here on the show. We are having podcast hosts. What's the name of yours, just to get it out there? Simply called Communicating Climate Change. Communicating Climate Change. I'm going to have to look that up um, and listen. Okay. Now let's get back to the topic here at hand. Um, so how can we do, and it sounds like you're going to, have to know the answer to this, how can we better communicate climate change? The first thing is by making it meaningful, right? And and when we think about meaning, we also have to understand that meaning is subjective, and that means that it comes down to the audience. So there's no uh, one-size-fits-all message. Meaning is what matters to your audience. Um, so a lot of this, I guess, that we're going to get into is going to sound like marketing, basically. I mean, it's second nature to people from marketing communications backgrounds because we do this every day. We do our research, we conduct segmentation, and we target our outreach and messaging to make it relevant, as relevant as possible, ideally, for those that are exposed to it. So it's all about aligning the right message with the right recipients through the right channels, using the right formats, in the right tone, at the right time. You know, this is Marketing 101. Um, so it's all that stuff which should help us break through the noise, plus potentially making it local uh, or more immediately relevant to the lived experience of the audience making it actionable, like we said earlier, people need to know what to do, uh, and making it optimistic, because we have to have hope. So telling stories that uh, tap into people's identities, their values, the things that they care about, um, their local communities, um, that's often a more effective approach um, than just ringing the bell with facts and figures. And I, I use the word stories quite intentionally here. Stories are historically evolutionarily, even how we share information. Um, it's how we learn, it's how we understand the world around us, and how we make meaning. So stories, like I said, underpinned by facts and rigorous science, they're a strong way to transmit information about climate change. Can you give us an example? You're, you're, this all sounds fantastic where you've seen this work. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the one that springs to mind is a series that we have at Tom Recollection, actually. We have a, a series called Deposit Heroes, where we tell stories from local communities around the world, people making uh, use of extended producer responsibility legislation to uh, support initiatives in their local communities. What does that mean in reality? It often means people doing a uh, recycling drive where they collect containers, use the deposit money to fund either a, 
a health initiative or a, a local sports initiative, uh, these kinds of things. So suddenly you've taken the conversation away from we have to recycle as much as we can to s- cut this amount of CO2 going into the atmosphere to we're funding a local initiative. And this is something that people can emulate around the world and, and do emulate. You know, when you see a story about a community in Australia raising money to fund the <laughs> flying doctor's service, for example. This is something that can be emulated in another part of the world in a similar way, but in a local context. So that's what I mean about telling stories to make meaning. Okay. But then I th- I'm guessing, as you've said before, this has to be underpinned by facts and, and policy. So while this is possible in Australia right now um, to have this sort of setup, it might not yet be possible. Um, in other parts of the world. So this is a call to action on the consumers out there. Um, Talk to your local, regional, um, national policymakers. And if this is something you would like to see happening in your area, maybe this is something that you can push. There you go. That sounds like mobilization. (laughs) That sounds like it. So yeah, like I said, you know, local, putting things in a local context is often more immediate, easier to connect with than, you know, the polar bear in the Arctic. Easier to have that local meaning and make people care uh, rather than the global or the distant context that's often used. Also, local heroes. Heroes are really powerful. Local heroes are often way easier to trust and identify with. You know, if someone is like me, they understand my life and my lived experience, it's easier for me to put myself in their shoes and emulate them and, you know, follow suit, do what they're doing. And another important thing is giving people feedback on on the impact of their actions. This is often a bit that's left out. We tell people what to do, we show people what to do, but we rarely tell them, first of all, thank you. <laughs> and we rarely tell them what it was all worth. That's something that we can really do to make people feel that they're actually contributing and that it's not all just for nothing. And I guess one important factor to keep in mind with these local heroes is that it needs to be authentic. So um, if you are out there telling stories, if you are talking about the activities, you actually need to be doing these things. Yeah, I think it's quite easy these days to find out whether someone is doing it or not doing it. And there are very large greenwashing movements coming for you if, you, <laughs> uh, if you're not. Dickon, you've, you've given us some, some things to think about. You've given us a hard example. What's the takeaway that any listener to this particular episode can implement tomorrow? For many people, the best thing they can do is to start talking to their immediate communities, their family, <laughs> um, you know, their, their local area. They can just start talking about these things. That's how we find solutions also, talking about things with other people, finding problems and solving them. But if you're a communicator or you have a, a network and you want to communicate better about this subject matter, the best place to start is with the audience. You might think you know your audience. You probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> we all find us well we all find ourselves in that situation where we make too many assumptions right i mean i've been guilty of that i think every communicator has been at some point or other yeah. um so doing that audience research and asking questions about what they need is a good place to start um so obviously there's uh, all the demographic stuff when we think about audiences particularly in marketing communication circles uh, we think about you know age location gender all this stuff but people are so much more than that and they're certainly not a blank slate when it comes to information. They they bring all these uh, pre-existing values and knowledge and beliefs and attitudes with them. And these tend to be formed in the networks and the communities that we're all part of. So people understand new information through the kind of prism of these existing factors. So 
if you want to find out what's meaningful to them, you have to start trying to understand who they are more than just in terms of demographics. Um, and when talking about climate change, basically just don't assume that they're completely clueless. Um, that would be a really great place to start. We often kind of roll in thinking we're starting at zero, but audiences might be really informed. They might be super concerned. Uh, they may not just have any clue of what to do right now or, or on a particular topic. And that's our job to sort of show the way in, in a way or to discuss with them and, and find a way. So in cases like that, giving audiences clear actions to take, like we're doing now, uh, as well as feedback about the impact of those actions uh, would probably be more effective than just blasting them with more graphs about the rise of CO2 in the atmosphere. Another action to take, one that I take myself, um, is to keep on learning about this. It's a huge priority for me, and I can share a bunch of resources about how I've approached that in the show notes. So any listeners that are interested in learning more can just follow those links. Thank you for that. But generally, I mean, I think the, the biggest takeaway is tell stories about climate change that give meaning to the science in the context of people's everyday lives. That's, that's the bottom line. Okay, so stories. Uh, I think you mentioned before they should be positive, um, not necessarily all gloom and doom. So on that note, Dickon, how does the future look to you? There's a bit of doom and gloom, isn't there? Um, things, things in a lot of ways don't look that great. You know, the fires, the storms, the floods, the pandemics, the biodiversity loss, the refugee crisis, etc. It's all not wonderful. But at the same time, there's a lot to be hopeful about. We're looking at a global treaty on plastic, uh, renewable energy sources are cheaper than ever, young people are leading the way in collective action, not that that lets the rest of us off the hook, but it is extremely positive to see. Whether or not any of those things individually is a silver bullet doesn't matter um, because we're on our way, right? We're working together, we're coming at this thing from so many different angles and we need to, and that's incredibly positive news. So even despite all of the stuff that's going on uh, around the world, I am very optimistic about the future. The more I talk with other people involved in the movement, uh, the more I join communities that bridge the gaps between the science, the arts, activism and business, communities that are inspiring change and demanding change, that makes me optimistic. You know, the more I get involved in this, the more optimistic I become about our ability to generate these cross-cutting changes that we need to make uh, in order to get through this thing. So I can share some links to those as well. I mean, I, I recommend anybody listening to join some of these communities, even even if you're just looking for kind of a rock to hold on to. It's, it's pretty good stuff. And it's... Uh, there are some really good people in there. Thank you, Dickon. Despite everything, I feel like after that last bit, we're in a good place. We're moving in the right direction. I will certainly be looking at some of those links and I will tune in to your podcast, Communicating Climate Change, I Yeah, think. that's right. Okay, I will have a listen. Thanks for coming on. Um, very inspirational also for me as a, as a marketing communications professional, I'm certainly taking some takeaways with me. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating, subscribe, and turn on notifications. To comment on this episode, visit circular-economy.tamra.com slash podcast.